In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My third, fourth, and fifth grade years were spent at a school called Pine Ridge Elementary. It doesn't exist anymore because we shut it down. It was on the corner of Little River Turnpike, Prosperity, and Woodburn Road. It's now a police station. When fifth grade was over, we had to move over to Mantua Elementary to finish grade school. But among the most memorable experiences there was third grade, where we spent the year with Audrey Van Vliet. Now we call her Audrey, then we called her Mrs. Van Vliet. That third grade class from 79 to 80 bonded in a way that classes do sometimes. We got together over the years. We had a reunion over uh, our high school graduation in 89. Two others from that class went with me to college in Chicago. One of them celebrated his birthday yesterday. We tried to stay in touch with each other. Among the more memorable moments from that great experience was a time when there was a pause in the day. I don't know if it was a break. Um, it wasn't recess, because I, I remember the, the weather was good, but we were inside. But we were in the classroom, not far from the window from which you could see St. Ambrose Church, which was my home parish. And a, a group of us, maybe six or seven of us, were talking about what we're going to be when we grow up. And I'm, I'm pretty sure someone said lawyer, and someone said um, astronaut, and someone said doctor, probably. I do remember Kim saying that she was going to become a dancer. That was memorable. A, because Kim was memorable, and secondly, because she did become a dancer. And then I, apropos of nothing, said, I'm going to be a priest like the priests at my church. And I, and I don't know if I pointed towards the window from which you could see my parish church, but that was the, um, the first time it was ever spoken. So third grade, we're about eight years old. It seems significant that someone would um, have a vocation on their heart at that young age. But what I want to suggest to you is that it's at these, at these ages, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, that among the most important decisions are taking place. There's another article that came out this past week which confirmed something we read a year ago, showing that the majority of Catholics who have left the church as adults already decided to do so by the age of 12. And so there's something critical going on in those ages. We're beginning to make sense of the world. We're asking questions. And we're paying attention to who gives time to our questions, and who has answers, and who has good answers.
St. Paul, in his first letter to the Corinthians, offers his advice, his counsel about, about vocations. Echoing the words that our Lord said in response to questions about marriage and divorce, when our Lord mentioned the life of celibacy, he acknowledged that not everyone can accept it. But if you can, it's recommended. Not, it's not demanded, it's recommended. It's easier. There's a reason why we expect priests and nuns to pray more and to be holy. The reason why, there's a reason why we're that much angrier and the transgressions of priests and nuns make the newspaper, for good reason. But there's a danger in thinking that only that decision is at stake and that the only thing we're trying to do is promote vocations to the celibate life, whether it be ordained or in religious vows. Speaking of which, Brother Paul was able to announce that his solemn vows will take place when? on Saturday, February 10. So we'll keep Brother Paul in our prayers over the next few weeks. Um, for a religious, that moment really is the pinnacle of everything. And also when he begins to be allowed to vote in elections at the House of Studies. What's going on at these young ages is far more important than planting the seed for the vocations that will bring us good example and prayer and penance and the sacraments. What's going on at these ages is, is the decision whether or not to believe in Christ, whether or not to remain faithful to the vocation of being a child of God, whether or not one decides to become holy, to be made perfect by God's sanctifying grace. That's the decision that each of us needed to make in order to have a fighting chance. A few days ago on Wednesday, one of my very, very favorite saints, not that today's saint, St. Thomas Aquinas, isn't a very, very favorite saint, but he has two feast days, really. Actually, three or four, depending on how many parties you attend at the House of Studies. <laughs> on Wednesday, the church celebrated St. Francis de Sales who's always been very dear, author of the introduction to the devout life, Bishop of Geneva, a man promoting devotion, not just sentimentalism, but, but true devotion to Christ at a time when the church was, was asphyxiating, the 1500s to the 1600s, at a time when the devotion to the Sacred Heart was also being reinvigorated where the heart of the church was being revived. The introduction of the devout life was the first book written for lay people, written for the spiritual direction of every baptized person. I posted the passage that appears in our office of readings, so if you've heard it before, um, I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing it again. When God the Creator made all things, he commanded the plants to bring forth fruit each according to its own kind. He has likewise commanded Christians, who are the living plants of his church, to bring forth the fruits of devotion, each one in accord with his character, station, and calling. 
I say that devotion must be practiced in different ways by the nobleman and by the working man, by the servant and by the prince, by the widow, by the unmarried girl and by the married woman. But even this distinction is not sufficient, for the practice of devotion must be adapted to the strength, to the occupation, and to the duties of each one in particular. Tell me, please, whether it is proper for a bishop to want to lead a solitary life like a Carthusian, or for married people to be no more concerned than a Capuchin about increasing their income, or for a working man to spend his whole day in church like a religious, or on the other hand, for a religious to be constantly exposed like a bishop to all the events and circumstances that bear on the needs of our neighbor. Is not this sort of devotion ridiculous, unorganized, and intolerable? Yet this absurd error occurs very frequently, but in no way does true devotion destroy anything at all. On the contrary, it perfects and fulfills all things. In fact, if it ever works against or is inimical to anyone's legitimate station and calling, then it is very definitely false devotion. The bee collects honey from flowers in such a way as to do the least damage or destruction to them, and he leaves them whole, undamaged and fresh, just as he found them. True devotion does still better. Not only does it not injure any sort of calling or occupation, it even embellishes and enhances it. Moreover, just as every sort of gem cast in honey becomes brighter and more sparkling, each according to its color, so each person becomes more acceptable and fitting in his own vocation when he sets his vocation in the context of devotion. Through devotion, your family cares become more peaceful. Mutual love between husband and wife becomes more sincere. The service we owe to the prince becomes more faithful. And our work, no matter what it is, becomes more pleasant and agreeable. It is, therefore, an error and even a heresy to wish to exclude the exercise of devotion from military divisions, from the artisans' shops, from the courts of princes, from family households. I acknowledge that the type of devotion which is purely contemplative, monastic, and religious can certainly not be exercised in these sorts of stations and occupations. But besides this threefold type of devotion, there are many others fit for perfecting those who live in a secular state. Therefore, in whatever situations we happen to be, we can and we must aspire to the life of perfection. St. Francis of Sales is writing this in the first years of the 17th century, 400 years ago, a precursor to St. Jose Maria, calling everyone to a life of holiness, everyone to a life of devotion suited to our particular station, our particular calling. But this is not something that happens just by virtue of osmosis or by virtue of being just dumb lucky or not having tripped up. It is a deliberate decision to love God, to serve God. And it is not something that simply will come back into force in our 20s or 30s or after our first baby is baptized. It's too late by that time. So I encourage you 
to lay claim to that real vocation. It drives me a little nutty when people talk about the single vocation, as though singleness is the vocation part. Now, being baptized, being baptized and confirmed, that's the vocation. And that's how your life started. All of our lives started that way. Every Christian life started with the vocation of being baptized, baptized and confirmed, and being celibate. That's how we all start. Some of us choose, as nature calls us, to marry and to become holy as a husband or as a wife, as a mom and a dad. But every Christian life begins with the same vocation, but very few of us even honor it as a vocation. We think of it as a default position or as the lack of a vocation. One of my great heroes was Monsignor Scannell, who passed away in about 10 years ago, if my math is right, with a lifetime of having told his children in his school, at his parish, the answer to one question. He was one of the founders of O'Connell High School as the founding pastor of St. Michael's Parish in Annandale. And whenever he would visit his kids, whether it be in the grade school or in the high school, he would ask them one question, who are you? And they would respond with a resounding, a child of God. I've had grown men in tears tell me that's what got them through college. That's what got them through the darkest moments of their married life. To know that no matter what, no matter where, no matter what's happened, their identity has nothing to do with their actions, their desires, their proclivities, certainly not their sins. Their identity has been given in baptism. You are a child of God. That is your vocation, and it always will be. But if it's neglected, we will resent it and abandon it. St. Paul is talking to Christians in Corinth who already know to belong to Christ means I have given up my life. The details, that's up to God. The big decision was becoming a Christian. That meant I've probably foregone all my property. I may very well have forfeited my life. And so we stand before the Lord, sinful and sorrowful, hopeful and eager to remain faithful children of God and to learn to love the Father and to serve the Father as Christ did at the altar and on the cross. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.